Hello, and welcome to the Outlier Podcast, the podcast for everyone who is interested in building better homes. My name is Anthony, and I am the founder and lead designer of Outlier, and I'm passionate about creating beautiful and high-performing homes. I sit down regularly to chat with industry experts to help educate Australians about the potential of creating healthy, comfortable, and energy-efficient homes. Whether you are looking to build your forever home, renovate your existing house, or simply eager to learn more, tune in every month wherever you get your podcasts. We hope you join us on this journey. This is episode 19, and in this three-part episode, we chat with David Demosky from David Bell Design. David provides an honest account of designing and building his own family home to passive house standard. We dive into the details of what makes this home different from a conventional constructed home, including the building fabric, assembly makeups, and how he used Passive House Planning Package, or PHPP, and Woofy to assist the design and value management. We conclude with some of the low moments, the feel-good moments, and what the future of industry may hold. Hi, Dave. Welcome. Um, really excited to have you on the podcast. I've had the pleasure of coming and visiting you and meeting you in person and having a guided tour of your own uh, home that you've designed and built yourself. Um, start off with, can you please just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and uh, what you do? Uh, my name is Dave. Thanks for, for having me, Anthony. I really appreciate it. And um, it was good to, to catch up when you did um, get up my way the other week. Well, the other month, actually. It was quite a while ago. <laughs> yeah, it's been a little while now. Um, so I'm, yeah, like I said, I'm David Dimovsky. I, um, I run a small little drafting or building design firm in New South Wales in Shell Harbour. We're about an hour south from um, Sydney and, uh, we pretty much service the whole New South Wales region from like Albury to Byron Bay. Um, there's a, there's an old job in Dubbo that's kind of, I don't know where that job's up to at the moment. I haven't spoken to that client in a while. Is <laughs> You like to go regional though? Yeah, I'll go regional, yeah, but um, yeah, I'll, I'll do have a job out in Dubbo. That's probably the furthest I've ever done. But yeah, we'll, we'll go anywhere, man. I haven't done interstate yet, but um, never say never. Oh, we could have a collaboration. We could, man, yeah. The old, <laughs> uh, cro- uh, what is it, uh, Victorian New South Wales Derby. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> mm. Yeah, well, so one of the things that I thought was very unique about what we spoke about when you um, first reached out was that you're not only designed your own home, but you've decided to build it. So what what made you want to go down that path or, or that journey? Um, well, it was when I started designing it, um, just a little bit prior to that, we sold a home, um, my wife and I, that we, we kind of built together. That was our first owner-builder experience um, with my in-laws. Ah, and, so this um, wasn't your first owner builder experience. No, this is yeah, this is my second. So, the, so you tried that on the in-laws first, and then you just work out yeah. all the places. And, yeah. <laughs> well, that was good. There was um, there was kind of four of us going at it. It was back then. You could probably dare I say it was easier to get money, but um, there's there's funny things with owner builder loans. You kind of need um, they only loan you up to sixty percent. Okay. Most most banks. So that's an interesting little side note there. But we we ended up selling that home. Um, you know, we made a, a little bit of money out of that and then we decided to um, try and go a little bit more rural um, in, a, in a little town called Jamboree. Um, I don't know if you 
went there while you were up here, but it's, I didn't have the pleasure. It's nice. No. It's, yeah, it's but really don't hold nice. back on the details because I'm sure there are a lot of people considering whether they want to be an art builder, and all of this stuff's really valuable to them. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, we can get into the whole trying to get finance thing as an owner builder. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we, we tried to get into um, Jamboree. We, we got mucked around for about two years or so just by this real estate agent that was um, trying to sell us this land, and then my wife kind of. Uh, got sick of that and pulled the pin and said, um, we have to, you know, we've got kids now, we have to kind of get a house. And I'm like, okay. So we we bought a block of land in, um, again, in Harbour. It's like a suburban area, so not rural. That that dream had to be put on the burner for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and we started designing and and, um, and building. So, okay. yeah, that's so <laughs> there's a very... One more very unique factor to consider here is this isn't just a, uh, your average construction, standard construction. This is actually going to be a certified passive house. Yeah, passive. We're aiming for passive house plus. So I'm a, I'm a um, I think I got certified in 2020 as a passive house designer. Um, I've got other other than my house, I've got one in Shell Cove, which is um, it's not a certified passive house, but it's um it's using the principles and it's performing absolutely flawlessly. Like my client is like messaging me <laughs> every couple of weeks, like, oh, you know, it's 36 degrees outside and you know it's only 23 inside and it's really good. And I'm like, oh wow, that's you know, that's no air conditioning as well, which is fantastic. So I've got one under my belt there. Um there's one in Mollymook that uh due to, you know, oh this industry, it's really hard to to well, just what's the word? Not keep momentum, but um, get into that construction phase lately, just with pricing and all that kind of stuff yeah. going up through the roof. So that might be on the the, the back burner at, at the moment. Um, another one in Mollymook, and then um, yeah, we just got feelers out now to see if we can um, grab another high performance build. <laughs> yeah. So why choose passive house for your own family home? Um. Passive house kind of came around by um, just a little bit of Googling. It's a bit of an odd story, but we moved into a rental once we sold that house in Shell Cove. And um, it's it's not anymore, but it did have a bit of a cockroach infestation. Yep. And to the point where like, you know, middle of the night, there's just like two, two on the walls and we're... I just picked up the family and we went back to my in-laws' house. I was just like, "Nah, man, we're not we're not staying here. Like, it's too much." So we, after getting that house fumigated and all that, it, it's 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 all good now. But um, I was trying to figure out ways of keeping bugs out of your house, and passive house showed up because it's virtually airtight, and yeah. you know everything's pretty much sealed, like from the slab to the other side of the house and the slab. There shouldn't, in theory be any openings for any bugs to come in and it I just so happened to click on that and um you know that kind of sparked it and then you'd obviously remember this in Victoria when um I think Victoria and New South Wales had those really bad bushfires yeah yep. we're sitting in that rental we're still here now four years later it was only meant to be a, a one-year thing but anyway um to build a life yeah, <laughs> God, and also um, a small business owner to top that off. So. Yeah, plus the family. Yeah, like, yeah, busy boy. But um, th- those bushfires, um, I remember just sitting in the living room, going, "It's it's no better inside than what it was outside." Like the I was watching the news when when news, and they're like, "Oh, we're warning locals to 
to stay inside and, and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just sitting in my, I'm thinking in my head, like, the air inside is really bad. Like, it smells like smoke. Like, who are we kidding ourselves? Is it, it might be less bad. I don't know. But with, with building infiltration, like, once you know about it, whatever's outside is, it's going to come inside. It's just a matter of time. So I remember just sitting in the living room. I'm just watching the kids. At that time, we only had two. And I'm like, we had a newborn, Tommy, and, and Amelia was about three. And I was like, oh, God, it's, I, I felt really bad. Like, not yeah. to say like I'm failing as a father, but it's like they're your kids and you really want the best for them. So um, that kind of got me back into Googling um, Passive House and then we just made that commitment when we were getting mucked around by that real estate agent, like, listen, we're going to buy this block of land and we're just going to go balls to the wall and, and do a, a Passive House pretty much. So, yeah, yeah. we're aiming for Passive House Plus. Um, I looked at premium, but I don't, I don't know if I don't, I'm not even sure if anyone's actually done that on a, on a residential building. I'm not sure. It probably may be something rural if you got like a lot of solar, but um, yeah, I wasn't. I'm kind of halfway. If you look at the PHPP, I'm halfway in between standard, uh, sorry, plus and premium. So I'm, it's performing well above plus. That's great. Yeah. yeah. What I'm liking you to do though is break that down and uh, walk us through the details of what Passive House is, um, what are the principles or what make it unique compared to conventional construction? Well, specific to my house. Tuning in may yeah, yeah. not be familiar with that. Yeah, yeah, no worries. Well, um, obviously we the, the main seller is the bushfire smoker and the, the rodent um, and, and bugs infestation. We can get rid of that or rule them out. Um, if, if anyone is curious, the... The bushfire smoke, um, there's a lot of ways to go about it and there's a lot of different like filtration systems, but the the nuts and bolts of it is in a in a passive house, you've got a, a heat recovery ventilation system. So that's basically um, exchanging the air within the home um, and where instead of having a window open or multiple windows open where it's just variable and you can't control it. I call um, that the dilution method. Yeah, I believe the, that's the terminology the National Construction Code uses. <laughs> oh, do they? <laughs> yeah, it's, we're not trying to exchange the air entirely. Yeah. We're just trying to dilute it to an amount that's uh, tolerable. Yeah, <laughs> quite unquote. Um, yeah, so we're, we're trying to control the, the amount of air coming in and out. Then um, that's basically the sole purpose of the, the HIV. And, and to combat the bushfire smoke, um, you can pair that up with a series of filtration. So I think from what I understand, um, and I'm literally just researching this yesterday um, to make sure I get the right one, but it's a sure. charcoal filter and a some type of HEPA. I think it was a H14. Don't quote me on the, the micron um, level that it has to filter to, but um, yeah, typically a, a HEPA and a, a carbon filter combined We'll get rid of your bushfire smoke. So I'm just kind of working out now how I can place that in my laundry so it's serviceable in a box and I can take them out when there's no bushfire smoke. I think that's what I have to do from, yeah, there's a bit to it, but I suppose that's why you and I are um, where the building designers, where we have to worry yeah. about it so the clients don't. <laughs> yeah, that's the exact system that we've implemented in projects. Um, so head you... are a little bit more expensive and they're also really hard to get a hold of during, you know, previous few years for mm. obvious reasons. 
Um, so having that ability to sort of put it in when you just just when you need to use it when there's bushfire smoke outside and, and remove it for most of the time is it will also in my experience reduce the airflow slightly. Yeah, it's apparently not that great for the HIV units. Like I suppose they can do it to to a degree, um, but it's not. It's probably not something you want to run long term. Just if there's a bushfire warning and you can smell it, chuck it in. And yep. if it's maybe you know a week or two. Um, take it out and I would you, potentially you could save those filters like they do last a long time but those ones in the HIV the the pre the F7 and the G4s I'd just change them straight away there'd yeah. be no point in keeping them well while we're on the subject of ventilation what other things have you implemented into your home um so it's um it's based on a the the whole point of the the home is to have a really good like um What'd you say? Like it, it has to stand as an example as to, to show people in the local area of what they can achieve with like very like leaning on standard construction practices. We're not doing like a SIPs build um, or you know hempcrete stuff like that. Like it's nothing crazy. It's just literally a ninety mil frame, and we just add on to that. Um, which you know, doing this whole experience, there's there's ways where I could probably even improve it now, but. Um, the, the things that kind of set my house apart, um, we're, we're using a, a wood fiber. So a lot of, a lot of imported products, unfortunately, that this kind of stuff just isn't made in Australia yet, but, um, I'm using wood fiber insulation. So within the, the 90 mil cavity, we've got, um, the Styco uh, wood fiber bat. Yeah. It's just a pic picture of pink bat, but made of timber and, and a lot thicker, <laughs> um, and denser. Um, and on the outside of the building, we've just attached uh 40 mil um kind of like a stico board um it's yeah, very similar to the external um face of the frame that's kind of acting as a thermal break so yeah. we're we're cocooning the whole frame um all the, timber doesn't have like a really bad um thermal conductivity i think it's pretty good so but just to to kind of get us over the line for the passive house plus um, I added that 40 mil around to act as the thermal break. And I, uh, there's a lot with this house that it's just like I've done it because I, I want to. I don't think you have to go to this extent to achieve passive house in my region. Um, for, for those playing at home, I'm using a, a NARA climate data set. So NARA Sydney, very similar. Yep. Um, I'm going to jump in for a second and just ask yeah. you to explain when you're referring to designing or how you've worked out or formulated what was required in your home as far as the thermal insulation goes. So there's a, a software package called PHPP or mm. Passive House Planning Package. And that's what you're using right now to help you design your home's thermal specifications. Yeah, that? exactly. So th think of it as, um, as I think a lot of people are familiar with BASICs. So that's like a, a state... Um, a state-based system. Oh, do you have BASICs in Victoria? We don't. New South Wales are the only state that use BASICs. Oh, uh, it's great. A How lucky are we? For the remainder. Yeah, we're so How lucky. How lucky are we? Are we? <laughs> oh, God. Um, actually, there's a bit of news on BASICs as well. But So BASICs is basically just a really, oh, we'll say fundamental, basic way of assessing your, your home's energy performance. Um, there's a new system out now, which I haven't mucked around with yet, but apparently it's a little bit better. I'm not sure. 
Um, so we have BASICs in New South Wales. We have um, NATOs in New South Wales, which is one level up I would consider. And then in my own personal opinion, it might not be everyone's opinion, but the PHPP or the Passive House Planning Package kind of trumps them all. And you can, you can love or hate that comment. I'm, no, <laughs> I'm sure really. That, yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of people that, that might disagree. But, in, yeah, in my opinion, it's, um, it's very thorough. It uses very good building physics calculations. It's, um, it's probably the only way to do it properly. And it can be cumbersome for those that, that have used it. Um, but that's probably the best thing we've got so far. I've used that to, to determine the, the components that I use in the wall system. So, for instance, um, I could take my wall assembly um, and, be, and we have to keep in mind that the, the climate data of, the, of where the house is going to be designed is in the PHPP. Um, I can manipulate that PHPP and say, like, okay, well, maybe I put a 60mm board on the outside of my wall and then compare it to a 40 mil board, which I, I actually did. And I, I chose to go the 40 mil, A, it's cheaper, and B, the difference was virtually negligible. Um, I, so I you, didn't so you're now using the PHPP as a value management tool as well, not just design. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah, you can save a lot of money. Another example of that was um, I, I had another 40 mil board that I was going to put underneath my um, underneath my master bedroom because that sits above the garage. So I had... 300 millimeters of um, uh, low in cellulose, less like recycled newspaper. Yeah. Um, so that was all installed. Um, that's sitting underneath my master bedroom. And then I, I thought I had to add another 40 mil layer just to, I, it was mainly for soundproof. But then I realized that once I had done the, the cellulose, it was very quiet. Like I couldn't hear nothing inside. So then I went back into the PHPP a couple months later. Um, and I, I just removed the 40 mil and it didn't really change too much. Like I, I just decided to take the hit, um, thermally speaking. So that that was something that I probably didn't have to order if, if I just, you know, kind of looked And you've started thing. construction at this point, right? Like just to clarify. Yes. So at this stage, at the time of recording, I am um, getting my final electrics in, the plumbing's done, um, and we are pretty much just pre-plaster. So I've I've... Put a bit of FC sheeting in the um, in the wet areas. I've done that last week, and um, yeah, we're, we're just getting ready for plaster. Where to, to be clear, it's been it's been just over two years of building. So one year of design, two years of building, um, and within that two years, we've had uh, is it El Nina? Is that the one with all the rain? My my best mate. That was about five months of rain. So. Not much happened there. So physical building, about a year and a half. Um, yeah. yeah. As well as running a business and the family as well. So yeah, you know, squeezing you it by yourself. That's pretty yeah. impressive. Yeah. I uh, yeah, I wouldn't mind if you could continue on and just yeah talk us through how you've um, you know used the PHBP, how you're implementing that as you're going during construction, and more just touching on the principles of passive house and how they're implemented yeah. in your home and and what you've done. So I did want to circle back to the ventilation. Because uh, there was one more thing that you mentioned when we talked that caught my interest. And there's a question that we get a lot, and that is, do I have to use a recirculating range hood or can it be ducted oh, yeah. directly outside? 
So maybe you could touch on that and then we can yeah, move forward. I can, I can definitely weigh in on this. Um, again, probably an unpopular opinion in the passive gas community, but I just think it is best to get anything you're cooking or combusting inside or whatever, get it out of your house. So that's, that's my personal preference. A lot of people do choose to use recirculating systems with charcoal canisters. Um, and to, the main whole, the whole point of this is you have to remember um, the HIV system, it's, it's bringing air in, but it's also taking it out. And one of those points where it takes it out at is in the kitchen. And the last thing you want running in that extract line or in that um, duct is, you know, greasy, oily air. Um, that's just going to get in that line and it's just going to mold up. It, it's... I've seen photos on the internet. It looks terrible. Like it, it would be so hard to, to clean up. Um, so my, my opinion is to just completely remove that, eliminate that problem and pump the air out just like a normal build, a conventional build. Um, again, keeping conventional. We just hook the range hood up and get it outside. Um, and then to combat that um, pressure difference, because if you're, you have to think if you're, um, removing air from your range hood, you're, you're essentially creating like a negative pressure zone and that might start borrowing air from your HRV at some stage. So to, to negate that, we bring air in, in a makeup air system. Um, there's a lot of um, people out there that um, might not do the maths on it or, or whatnot, but I've, I've done a fair bit of, I've got a mechanical engineering background, so I've done a bit of calculations on it. And there's there's two um, trains of thought behind this. It's someone will put in a makeup air system. They will um, just leave an open passive hole and hope that that negative pressure kind of lets that in. Um, that doesn't really work because let's just say you've got a 200 millimeter hole extracting air from your range hood, and this is super nerdy, but you would possibly need about five or six 200 mil holes to have that made up for. So in, in my experience and, and my advice to, to anyone doing this, um, look at like a, a Wisp Air system. Um, they make a, a ready to go plug and play makeup air system. Um, that in, in theory, like when you're looking at like the calculations behind it, you want to do a one-to-one -one, um, extract intake. So if you're moving a thousand meters cubed, you want to be pulling in a thousand meters cubed with another fan blowing in the opposite direction. Um, the Wisp Air, I think from memory, it's it's moving about 850 out and 550 in, um, but that's done on purpose to kind of use like a scavenging effect to to get that air in. So that that's my kind of take on it. I I, I really do suggest that people kind of get um, the spent area, and I think there might be something, if I'm not mistaken, in the NCC coming up about that. Am, am I right there? Yeah, I'm not familiar with anything that's actually going to be incorporated into it, but it's certainly been discussed and advocated for. Yeah, okay, fair enough. It, it might become a problem in like um, maybe like a, a multi-res or like flat buildings. Like a lot of them usually have recirculating. Yep. Yeah, I, I don't know if someone wants to do a big passive house like that. That might be an issue, but I suppose, you know, anything's possible if you throw enough money at it really isn't it <laughs> <laughs> well we can solve a lot of problems with that but yeah the great thing is that that's probably not been your approach no nah, yeah unfortunately 
What a yeah. Yeah, Is there anything up. else regarding the ventilation um, that you'd want to um, talk about? Maybe we could move to the well, external I've, I've, ventilation strategy if you like. I've, I've actually started running the HRV um, last week, so I had to put in a couple of um, couple of lines in from the because I'm, I'm putting in the, the ceilings to the bathrooms. And um, so far, it's not that complicated. So I, I think a, a HRV prices vary. So uh, I'm, I'm using a stable Eltron system um, and I'm installing it myself. So I, for those of you that don't know, I've, I'm an automotive mechanic from by trade. So I'm a little bit, I'm handy, I suppose. That's probably the, the term for it. Um, and I've done a bit of construction work throughout my, my life. So... I, I decided to just give it a go and, and start installing it. And they're really, they're not that complicated. Um, if, if you can, if you can like read their, their design documentation and you're, you're pretty handy, um, you can, uh, most people can install one. Do I recommend it? I don't know. It's, it, you have to have some type of background to, to be confident in doing it. But um, so far I'm going all right. It's, it's, it's pretty straightforward. Yeah, um, I mean they have to be commissioned as well. Yeah, so that's one thing that I've added. So the the supplier of my um, HRV system, um, the agreement was he'd just supply the unit, I'd install it, and then he'd come and commission it. Um, I I because <laughs> I'm I'm a little bit like that. I do like to just have a bit of research behind me, and I did research what's involved in commissioning it. And um, it's not again not too complicated for for someone that's got an idea, but. Um, that was the agreement, so we'll, we'll just leave that. Yeah, there. great. I'm, I'm happy to concede that one. So, mm. while on the topic of ventilation, I feel like this is my favourite topic at the moment. <clears throat> I love a good interior or internal ventilation strategy, mm. and I feel as though most people aren't as familiar with that as the external. But in your home, like, how have you worked an external ventilation strategy into the design? The the building envelope user aware, it's a, it's a 90 mil stud. A 40 mil board on the outside. Um, we've wrapped the whole building in Extasana, so that whole slab to slab um, detail is all done uh, very meticulously as well. And um, then we, when I say we, it's me and my dad. So my dad's been um, helping on and off uh, when he can. So we fixed a 35 millimeter um, timber batten, just like a 70 35, found the studs, attached it on, and that was acting as our uh, ventilated cavity. Um, on the internal, I don't know if you'd call that. There is a service cavity. Um, more so the HIV is doing yeah, the lifting internally, yeah. but, um, externally, you know, you've got that continuous ability for moisture to be dried via yeah, exactly. those cavities. So yeah, so down at, at the security? bottom, or, yeah, at the bottom of that wall system, um, where that cavity begins, I used a, um, I don't, I'm not sure the material, it's kind of like a core fluy, um, a batten, it's a, a VB20 it's called. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just think of like a plastic mesh little batten that you attach horizontally at the bottom of your wall um, and that acts as like a little grill. So the air is just um, passing up there. I think it's through convection is the the act of that type of <laughs> yeah, heat dissipation. Again, it will, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So um, it, the, the warm air will kind of go through there up over the roof and then out into the, the ridge or straight up into the wall, depending on what part of the building. But the whole purpose of that is just to, I don't think a lot of people are aware of how much moisture is in your building and in your wall systems. Like it's it's liters, liters and liters and liters. And um, that just gives that a chance to travel from the outside or inside out 
come out, up that ventilated cavity and just dry out. Um, the, the biggest thing for a building is being able to dry out. Anything can get wet, but if it can't dry out, then you're just going to run into problems. Like that's just, you know, wood rot and, and a lot of headaches. So there was a lot mold. of like, um, yeah, yeah, mold, you don't want to, yeah, that's gaining traction these days. Um, but you don't want that kind of stuff. It's just, it's super detrimental. Um, and I've, I've even seen a lot of um, conventional builders lately adding some type of batten. I don't know if you've noticed it down in Victoria, but when I drive around here, that it's not great, but they'll attempt to put their sarking on that, you know, that aluminium foil stuff, put it on, and they might use like a a 19 millimeter ply ripped down in strips or something. So there is some attempts there. Um, I've also seen James Hardy come out with a, a timber batten recently. Yeah, I think they have it in the specifications for some of their claddings now to use their yeah, proprietary exactly. batten system. Yeah. Well, they, they've got a horizontal one with channels notched out. Um, I don't know if you, you're obviously friends with Hamish um, from Sanctum Homes. Recently, he, he cut one. I think he got the timber himself and he kind of grooved it out himself. Um, and I just thought, oh, James Hardy, they sell those now, so maybe you could have saved yourself some ass on that. <laughs> yeah, no, you know, um, Hamish is a legend anyway, so... No, he's very knowledgeable and, uh, yeah, he's all over this. So Yeah, he's a legend. He's the best. So does that turn the you, – you mentioned the ventilate cavity continues onto your roof now as well? Yeah. So yeah, exactly. Wrap. So just to go back as well to, and clarify, when you refer to Estestana, that's a pro-climber, weather-resistive barrier, completely wrapped around the home, um, and then that continues up onto the roof. And now you're using a pro-climber uh, mento or roof – um, um, I actually use the I use the adhero. So um, on on roofs that are, I think it's less than five degrees, they recommend to actually adhere the membrane onto it. So basically, I it's it's a it's not super hard, but it is very time consuming and it takes a lot of effort to do. So my my roof system is based up uh, built up using um, three hundred millimeter eye joists. Um, as the rafters, so I span them across the whole um, the whole building. We pump them full um, of the cellulose, and then on top of that, I used a fifteen millimeter structural plywood um, and just covered the whole roof. Um, both systems about two hundred square meters, and then I purchased um, about seven or eight rolls of um, Proclima Adhero. So they come in about a one point five by fifty meter, I think it was. And we just rolled them out continuously. It took about, oh, geez, I'd like to say best part of a week and a half. That was a big job. Because um, you're, you're basically, you're, you're building a floor system. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that, that house has three floor systems, just two are on a two-degree pitch. Um, but getting back to what I was saying, anything below a five-degree pitch, you need to use a hero. So that was the whole purpose of gluing it down. Um, beyond that, we introduced the 45-millimeter um, ventilated cavity using the 7045 batten. Um, and then on top of that, um, yeah, just more components. Again, I think the, the best takeaway from designing and building your own home is um, I've thought of ways to kind of like simplify their systems now for the homes I design and, and just so like my clients don't have to go through this kind of stuff. So it's there's, there's a lot of value in designing and actually building or executing the build yourself because um, – it's it's a oh, it's a crazy learning experience, man. You learn so much. You make so many mistakes. 
Um, yeah, I've always thought that getting onto the construction side and seeing how things go together is the best thing you can possibly do as a designer. Oh, yeah, number one. Like that, that whole thing, when you think about it, so one little decision to, to use the 300-millimeter rafters um, and also to keep my box gutters out of the building envelope. So for those of you that don't know, there's a typical box gutter detail is it basically sits inside your house, which it's a really stupid way to build something, like especially a box gutter. They're, they're, they have this like really bad um, reputation for being unreliable. But if you build them properly, they're fine. They're bulletproof. Like my box gutters are bulletproof. They're, they're never going to leak. And I'll, I won't even touch wood. Like it's, they're bulletproof because they're, they're located outside of my building envelope. There's a, there's a nice good layer of adhero behind it. So if, if you detail things correctly and people can jump on my Instagram, there's a couple of like um, examples of how I um, detailed some box cutters on there. You, you can make stuff like that bulletproof. And again, that's just taking a, a conventional building technique like a box cutter and seeing like, okay, well, you can do it a little bit better. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It comes back to that order of importance and it's always bulk order. It always, 100%. So it was more important to me to get that box gutter out of my thermal envelope um, than to save money on my, my roof structure. So that 45 mil baton was just the beginning. Now, because my minimum depth box gutter is 150 mil, I have to now prop up my roof 150 mil. So then I used a Z Perlin, like an industrial, um, you know, that's, that's what it's called, a Z Perlin. They're yeah. like six meter legs. And that just adds to the complexity. If you show this to a normal builder, like, Couple of them have come on site, not just you know conventional builders, and they think it's it's crazy. It's um, but that's what you got to do to to build a house properly. To do it properly, it's it's you can't follow conventional building techniques. It's just not you, you'll get a house at the end of it, but it won't be. Um, oh, that's one of my missions. I've got yeah. to try and find conventional building practices, and then we just tweak them to get them to work. To our, yeah, exactly yeah, right. You have to tweak point. them. Yeah, you have to tweak them. If you don't tweak them, then it's just, yeah, that, that's what I'm kind of leaning on as well. Thank you for listening to the Outlier Podcast. You can find helpful links and contact information regarding this episode in our show notes and on our website, outlierstudio.com.au forward slash podcast. If you like our show, please leave a review and make sure you subscribe to never miss a new episode. If you have further questions for us or would want to share some additional feedback, please feel free to DM us on Instagram or Facebook. Until next time on the Outlier Podcast.